I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I was trying to read and and talk at the same time. Um, You guys replied to the initial (laughs) uh, Atlantic at the Disco tweet with with some enthusiasm. What's the story behind that? Panic at the Disco is one of my favorite bands. Yeah, we just like talk about Panic at the Disco a lot. We like briefly discussed starting a second podcast where we would like talk about emo albums, and the first episode would be a Fever You Can't Sweat Out. So, like, <laughs> yeah, because Chad Chad does not he does not like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you get for Chad creating did. a poll. Yeah. <laughs> No, well, the funny thing is, I created a poll. The only thing Chad really created was a monster and giving me this yeah. responsibility. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, all right, let's let's get started. Sabres fans, welcome to episode two of the Beyond the Blade Atlantic Division miniseries, also known as Atlantic at the Disco. I know our guest on today really love that name, but we'll get to that in a second. Last week, we had our friend Mark Allred from the Black and Gold podcast, Black and Gold, not Black and Gold. All right, make sure you use the end. And this week, we have our friends TJ Peterson and Jacob Langsam from Point to Point Hockey to chat with us about a team that 60% of the time works every time, the Florida Panthers. TJ, <laughs> Jacob, what is going on, guys? Excellent callback to Anchorman. I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm doing uh, pretty well myself, and I think that's actually a pretty accurate description of the, of, the, uh, of the team. It might even be a little bit generous. Thank you so much for having us on. <laughs> Absolutely, fellas. Glad to do it. Um, this is an exciting episode because, I mean, more so than probably any other team in our division, Florida Panthers were busy this offseason. I mean, yeah. real busy. Right from the jump, I mean, from the coaching change to being the most active team in free agency, I mean, the, they had the most storylines in the Atlantic for sure. So let's talk a little bit about the offseason, then we'll get into, you know, the, the road ahead for 1920. But let's start with the additions, right? The big one. Obviously, the you know Russian elephant in the room is our man Sergei Bobrovsky. <laughs> he got seven years, ten million AAV. 
And then we made a lot of, you know, you guys made a few uh, depth signings, you know, Brett Connolly, four years, 13 million, Noel Akiari, three years, 5 million, a, a relatively big signing on the back end in Anton Strawman, three years, 16 and a half million. And then you guys you brought Wegar back, which is great. So, you know, real busy. And then obviously new coach Joe Quinville. So let's start with the goaltending, right? Because I think that's probably the yeah. biggest storyline. Obviously, the question that comes into play there is the contract. I mean, I, I kind of want to get your guys feeling. Are you good with such a huge deal with such a term attached to it? Obviously, goaltending was a big problem for Florida last year. They had a .891 combined save percentage between Luongo, Reimer, Montable, and Hutchinson, which is the second lowest in the league behind San Jose last season. And if you look at it with analytically even average goaltending, right, if their goal saved above average were just zero, they'd have had roughly 29 fewer goals against, which would have put them near the middle of the pack and really probably a playoff team. So Give me your thoughts on that signing. Is it too much, even though it does address an area of need? I don't think it is too much uh, because, like you said, it, it we needed to do this. And I, I will never mind overpaying for a star player. Uh, it's, it's when you get more into the depth people that I care more about the money in the term. Uh, so as far as Bobrovsky goes, I was really, really happy with the signing. I know he's already he's already 30 years old or close to it at least. And this is likely going to take him real close to the end of his career, if not there. And the $10 million, uh, it does make him the second highest paid goalie in the league. And he's immediately the highest paid player on our team. Uh, but like you said, this was something we needed to do. Reimer just fell off and we can't really trust him as a starter. Luongo obviously retired. Montembo, we don't know if he's really ready to be a starter and of course, we only have a few years left of those that big three that Barkov, Huberto, and Trocek all on their value deals. And we really needed uh, to do something with our goaltending that would capitalize on these next few years. Uh, so I, I think the uh, the overpay for Bobrovsky was a necessary evil uh, to make the most of uh, of the next few years that we have with uh, with our big three forwards under those contracts. Yeah, I mean. I don't necessarily disagree with anything that Jake just said other than one thing, which I'll point out because my answer is honestly kind of complex and I apologize for not having a straightforward. <laughs> I like the contract. I dislike the contract, but here's the way that I think about it. I look at the next three seasons for the Florida Panthers and I see their star players, Alexander Barkov, Jonathan Huberdeau, having tremendous value contracts. Uh, they were signed, you know, before this RFA explosion where all of a sudden guys are getting, you know, double digit contracts as soon as they signed their first RFA extension, which didn't used to be the case. I mean, look at what Nathan McKinnon got from the avalanche. Look at what John Tavares got when he actually did sign a contract with the Islanders. These guys were making way below, below market value and that's now changed. But, Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau signed those contracts before that happened. So they're on tremendous value deals. And the next three seasons, they're going to be on those deals. So the time to win, in my opinion, is now for the Florida Panthers. And with that in mind, I didn't really have an issue with the Bobrovsky signing because you're overpaying him probably. That much is true. But considering how little you're paying your star forwards – it really evens out to still be, you know, pretty good value for all three of them even. So not really an issue with that. But unfortunately, the way that the Panthers spent this offseason, I really think they needed to add more star power. I really needed to think they needed to go all in 
on a guy like Artemi Panarin. And sure, maybe he went to New York for a different reason other than the Panthers not going all in. But I think that that's probably something that they could have managed to make happen if they were truly committed to making it happen. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but we're, it's impossible to know. But ultimately, Jake, you mentioned that the Panthers had to, quote-unquote, had to do it with signing Bobrovsky. But I, I don't really see it that way because, frankly, I don't see where he gets them. I think that they're in roughly a similar position with him than without him, which is nowhere near championship caliber. I suppose that there's, you know, arguments to be made that while well, making the playoffs and sort of being a relevant team, you know, winning more than 45 games is something to strive for, sure. But I think that based on the fact that they struck out on Panarin and they're tying so much of their cap into Bobrovsky now that they can't go after another superstar without seriously maneuvering their cap space. It is kind of worrying to me that they, I don't really see the path necessarily for them to build a championship caliber roster with the amount of cap space that they now have and the cap commitments that they have to guys that are probably not very movable. Interesting. I was listening actually to your guys uh, last episode and you mentioned that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the, the three-year window, right? And how GMs, and I forget the exact quote, but you said something along the lines of GMs always find a way out of, you know, a, a contract like that, where after that three-year window, if Bobrovsky's number becomes problematic, <laughs> yeah. they'll find a way because they always do. And that's so true, right? And and I think getting bent out of shape over a big contract for a great player like Bobrovsky is maybe a little silly in that regard because it's true. They always find a way around it. It's, it's, it's never so hampering that it completely kills a team. I mean, every offseason we say, like this offseason, oh, Toronto's screwed. They're going to re-sign Mitch Marner. They're going to yes. have their whole team together. Tampa mm-hmm. Bay always does it. It just, they always make it work. Good GMs make it work. And you guys have a very good GM and that's going to kind of segue us into, well, historically a very, <laughs> let's call it. He's got a good history. Okay. All right. Historically. You, you happen to be good. talking to two people who are kind of Dale Talon skeptics at this point. All right. Well, so. Hey, that, that's good. That's good. That's why we're here. That's why we're here to talk this all through. All right. Anyway. So you guys made some big, big additions in the front office and behind the bench in mm-hmm. Mr. Talon and Joel Quinville. Obviously, Joe Quinville's reputation and his resume speaks for itself. Three-time cup winner. But do you feel that he is the right coach for the Florida Panthers right now? Are you excited about that addition? In the new direction kind of way, way this team is going, are you excited? Are you skeptical? Which sounds like you might be a little bit. I'm not skeptical at all about Quinville. Okay. Talon, Talon I have my doubts about. He, his track record is very shaky. Joel Quenville is the exact opposite. Quenville has been a head coach in this league for, what, 20 years now? Something like that. Uh, and he's the second winningest coach of all time. Three cups under his belt as a head coach. One more as an assistant. Humorously enough, his first cup as an assistant coach uh, when he was behind the bench with the Avalanche when they beat the Panthers in the cup in 96. Uh, I love Joel Quenville. He is absolutely the right man for this job. He's one of the best coaches of all time, best best option they could have gotten behind their bench. And maybe I'm just so strung out on these like first time coaches because I, I was a big time I was a big supporter 
of signing someone with a new perspective to be our head coach before we got Bob Bugner uh, behind the bench. I, I, I really liked Jim Montgomery. I was really high on Dallas Eakins. There were a bunch of guys. I know Eakins is, wouldn't have been a first-time head coach, but he would have been back as a um, – I, I really interested in getting someone with a new perspective at that point. And then Bugner came in, and it was the worst two years of my life. It wasn't. <laughs> it's a bit traumatic. In, in terms of hockey, it was the worst two years of my life. Hey, we're hockey um, podcasters, man, okay? Everything's drama. <laughs> exactly. True. It's a soap so, opera, you know? When, when the Panthers managed to replace one of the worst head coaches I've ever seen in the NHL with one of the best head coaches to ever be behind an NHL bench, there's nothing but happy, happiness uh, from me. I'm very excited to see what Quenville can do with this team. He's 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 going to be much more aggressive in holding players accountable uh, for their for their play. Uh, I I think there were a lot of issues that the Panthers had that were systems based, mostly on the special teams, frankly. Uh, that I think are going to be very very much solved. Oh, and defensive structure as well. Uh, special teams and defensive structure were big systems. Uh, big flawed systems that the Panthers had been dealing with under yeah. under Bob Bugner. Yeah. And, uh, I don't stop know about it, that. TJ. Go I ahead. Do. I I know about that. <laughs> I will I will contest that in in a moment. Go ahead. I'm, I'm gonna I build I'm gonna build in... this thing with like a fight card. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> Peterson yeah, yeah, you yes. know what? that might be a good uh marketing strategy good for this pay-per-view season, yeah point point, actually. <laughs> um <laughs> no but I'm extremely excited to see where Joel Quenville can take this team uh and especially I'm I'm very much looking forward to uh seeing what he can do with our defensemen yeah I think that you know if you have the opportunity to get Joel Quenville to be your head coach you take it a hundred times out of a hundred and don't even think about it at all it's like saying, you know, would Bill Belichick be a good hire for the Dolphins if he became available, which probably won't happen. But like, yes, he would be. We're talking about likely the best coach in NHL history. I mean, certainly some people can contest that. But I mean, he's got three Stanley Cups in an era where, it, you know, there's a, there's a salary cap. It's ultra competitive. Mm-hmm. And there's so many teams. It's just much, much harder to win in this era than it has really ever been. And he managed to do it like so often that you really just have to give him all the credit that you possibly can as a head coach. But, you know, coaching only goes so far. I mean, this is the same guy that had, you know, Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith and Corey Crawford, a number of other good players, and failed to make the playoffs two seasons ago. And, you know, as far as holding players accountable, I don't know if that's true if he's playing Brent Seabrook 81 games that particular season. So we'll we'll see if that if that uh, results in players you know getting healthy scratch that are bigger names. But uh, I don't know if it's necessarily true that Bob Bugner was bad uh, as a, a special teams coordinator. I mean, both Panthers special teams units were pretty effective last year. The power play was uh, the second most effective in terms of chances uh, turned into goals. Yes, I believe Paul McFarland's power play was very good. And the penalty kill, I believe, was also in the top <laughs> half of the league. And for a team that was not in the top half of the league in terms of you know, goals, uh, goals for percentage and just overall points. I think the special teams were not particularly an issue. But, I mean, look at what happened to the New York Islanders in the 2017-18 season, making a coaching change. And then in the 2018-19 season, they went from the team with the most goals allowed to the team with the fewest in the regular season. And really the only thing that changed with the defense was that they got a new head coach. 
and you can also say that they, they made a goaltending change, but the Panthers did that as well. And that's not to say that the Panthers are going to be the team with the fewest goals allowed next season. But it goes to show that sometimes fixing defensive issues isn't about replacing all of the players that play on your back end. It can be about changing systems. It can be about changing right. mentality. And that's what happened to the Islanders. And you can be really hopeful with a guy like Joel Quenville, who you know is obviously massively experienced and has all the pedigree that you need to win Stanley Cups as he has, that he can instill a mentality in these players and uh, set a system in place that will allow them to keep the puck out of their own net, at least enough to be competitive in most games. One of the one of the things, and the Sabres obviously were the second team after Florida to fire their head coach, and Phil Housley, who a, a lot of people would, would kind of share the sentiment you had about Bugner, and that might have been the worst mm-hmm. two years of head coaching we'd seen. <laughs> at, le- at least, no, I'm serious, at least guys my age, yeah. right, where, where, you know, my entire era was Ted Nolan, then Lindy Ruff. Then Ted Nolan again, then Dan Bilesma. It's, it's you know what I mean. So it started really Bilesma. great because in Ruff's prime, he was a fantastic coach, right? So I had about twenty years throughout my entire childhood of amazing coaching, and then it's you know an over the hill Ted Nolan, who some people still liked. I didn't. Dan Bilesma, who wasn't as bad as we thought he was, given what we had to deal with afterwards. But you know, it's Ron Rolston. It's just gosh, so bad. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Bill Housley really kind of took the cake for a lot of us and people were kind of split right where Quinville was available for about five seconds uh, before Florida scooped him up. So there, there was a good 48 hour chat about that where a lot of fans wanted to see, uh, you know, a, a proven coach, you know, they didn't want to do the, the Housley thing again. And, you know, then, then the fans who wanted a new perspective brought up, well, Bilesmo was a quote-unquote proven coach with two cups. And, you know, why not a new perspective? Why are we just ditching that idea, right? So my personal opinion was Quinville, uh, you can't argue with that resume, right? I mean, for right. even though, you know, Chicago wasn't great last season, despite having, you know, I think a considerable amount of talent, I don't put that all on him, and, and, and I don't think that takes much away from, from him. as Well, I mean, he coached like 10 games of that season. I was more so talking about the season before. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Sure. No, I, I get you. I get you. Let's move to a topic that I feel is, uh, I feel was, I guess, a, a, a pretty big issue for the Panthers last year, just in the games I saw from them and, and kind of what the data is telling us. You know, Sean Tierney has a fantastic chart, which is controlling the blue line, takes a look at how defenders break up zone entries and create possession exits. Last season, the Panthers had two guys who were both proficient at breaking up zone entries and exiting the zone in their, on their whole defensive roster. That was Bogdan Kislevich and Mike Matheson. Those are the only two guys. Everyone else was either bad at one or the other or bad at both. You guys added a player this <laughs> offseason in Anton Strollman, who, despite having a little bit of a regression last year, he is 33 years old, I believe, he is still as of August 1st as of August 1st. All right. So as a, or on the Tampa Bay roster, he was one of the best zone exit and zone entry defensemen. Despite that regression, he still maintained that strength of his game. And I think his sort of what he brings to the table was actually kind of exactly what Florida needed. How do you feel about that signing? Do you feel that that addition was enough to help that blue line, which struggled and struggled along with goaltending? So um, I'm sure it had an, you know, each had an effect on the other, so to speak. Give me your thoughts on that. So for those of you paying attention at home, 
I've been tweeting about Anton Strawman a lot since the Carolina Hurricanes signed Jake Gardner. <laughs> I am not a fan of the Anton Strawman signing. Okay. I, I I think it's great that he does these that he does zone exits and entries better than a lot of the Panthers defensemen. But again, I do think that part of that will be fixed by just switching the system, switching the defensive scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I think Quenville, Quenville will fix a lot of the uh, a lot of our defensive issues, uh, but we're not here to talk about Quenville more. Uh, I like Anton Strawman the player. I I like Florida Panther Anton Strawman. What I don't like is three years of Anton Strawman, who's already thirty three, and just coming off surgery and an injury that kept him out of like thirty games, I believe. It's not as easy to recover from those injuries at 32, 33 years old as it is for a 25 or 26-year-old. And I, I do not like Strawman for $5.5 million over three years at this point in his career. I, I think if the Panthers had bet one year on Strawman for $3 million maybe, I'd be fine with that. Let Strawman step in there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let Strawman step in there show the kids how it's done in terms of the things that he's good at, uh, and then let him bounce and move on to his next, his next team if, uh, if he so chooses. I do not like giving this player term. I do not like giving this player money at the, at the point in his career at which he currently is. I'm looking forward to seeing him in a Panthers jersey, and I'm looking forward to seeing him play to his strengths but I feel like that honeymoon phase is going to wear off very, very quickly. Yeah, I mean, players always will receive scrutiny in relation to their usage and what they take up in terms of you know, salary cap space or wages or whatever relative term creates you know, opportunity cost, et cetera, et cetera. And if Anton Strawman was on a one-year, $1 million contract, I think we'd be talking about all the assets to his game and how he's going to help the Panthers so much, right. yada, 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 but that's not the case. You know, He's making quite a bit more money than he should be, and in our opinion, it was one of the worst signings of the offseason. The only one that we could agree on being worse was the Tyler Myers signing in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. That was the only one, and you know, former Sabre, so you're very familiar with him, obviously. But um, you know, he's a, a guy that is you know, thought of well as a defenseman, but unfortunately those days are gone. Uh, He's coming off surgery. Like Jake said, Uh, he's coming off a season where he only played about 47 games and he's coming off a season where a lot of his good results, which honestly the results weren't that good on paper were because he played mostly with Ryan McDonough who had a career season. I mean, maybe you can credit Strawman supporting him, to that, I mean, th- those guys do know each other well, and I'm sure that McDonough has a level of comfort playing with Strawman that he wouldn't necessarily have with another guy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you if you look at those uh, zone exit uh, success charts that you were talking about from uh, Sean Tierney, the only player on the Lightning that was more successful in terms of the su- successful uh, zone exits with possession was McDonough. So you do have to question, oh, is, is Strawman actually effective at zone exits or is he just playing with somebody that makes his uh, zone exit percentage like much higher? Does he, uh, uh, does Rick Dunn, I would say, draw away, you know, four checkers and allow Strawman to get out of the zone more easily? 
Uh, that's something I'm going to be curious to find out. But I mean, yeah. it really was a huge issue for the Panthers last year. You didn't necessarily need to look at Sean Tierney's chart uh, and Corey Schneider's uh, data to see that the Panthers just had a terrible time out of getting out of their own zone. And I mean, this is a thing that I would attribute to coaching as well. Um, if you go to a practice or you watch warmups pretty closely, you'll be able to tell that the one thing that coaches really want to drill on in these sessions where they have their team together is zone exits and zone, uh, you know, zone entrances, that sort of thing. Uh, getting out of the zone, getting into the zone with possession is something that is being, uh, it's being, um, damn, I can't think of the word. I'm sorry. It's being focused on more and more by modern coaches. And I mean, you could see the data really suggests that it gives chances, uh, teams chances to win if they can enter and exit the zone with full control rather than dumping in, dumping out. Yeah. So I loved that response and I'm going to tell you why. So I took a little bit of heat from Saberland because I wrote an article. <laughs> lead, oh, I took some heat. I wrote an article leading up to free agency and it was free agent defenseman that the Sabres should stay away from. Anton, Stroll, Anton Strollman, behind Tyler Myers, who you mentioned, was my co-headliner on that list. <laughs> and I literally referenced Ryan McDonough's effect on him as kind of fool's gold for what he did well. And as you were, as you were talking just now, I was trying to pull up my article and say, like, how close were we in, in what we, how we were seeing this? Because I see it exactly the same way as you guys. He does, I, I think, provide some things that are uh, what the Florida Panthers need, right? Where, where they lacked, where they had deficiencies. However, I think with that contract at his age, with his injury history and his market regression pretty much everywhere else across the board, that, yep. was, a, that was a tough contract. So, so we, we definitely agree on that one. And, and we also agree that Tyler Myers' contract was insane. I thought it was a joke <laughs> when those figures started coming out. And Sabres fans were just as angry that I had Myers on that list until they saw the price tag. Then everyone came back down to earth like, oh, yeah, no, not, yeah. not, not for. I love Wait, that. Sabres fans wanted Tyler Myers back. Do you, yeah. Okay. I, I love my Sabres fans. I love them to death. I don't know if you'll find a more nostalgic fan base ever, like just across sports. Just let's do what we did. Do you know how many people wanted Lindy Ruff back during this coaching search, man? Just bring us back to glory. Myers was on the well, team last I, time we I made the I feel like Ruff is one thing. If you're replacing Phil Housley, at least Lindy Ruff is a replacement I'm not, for a fan base who's got blood out for Rasmus Ristolainen. Wanting Tyler Myers back is not better. J- Jacob, Jacob. <laughs> I'm, I sorry, had to, I'm sorry. I had to talk sorry. Fan, Sabres Twitter listen, hates me. Listen to me. Yeah. I had to talk fans down who wanted Bob Bugner. You, they wanted to take Bugner off your hands. Do you know why? Oh. He used to wear a Sabres uniform. Yep. So That's right, obviously, yeah. to be fair, right it was decision. the best. Bugner did wear the Sabres jersey when it was at its peak. That is true. That is very true. <laughs> yeah, he actually wore my two favorite Sabres jerseys. He wore the the actual royal blue and gold and the goat head. So he he was around for the two best eras of the Sabres uniform. But anyway, we're getting off track. We're going to take a quick break. We will be back in thirty seconds or so with TJ and Jacob from Point to Point Hockey. Stick with us. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, Sabres fans and Panthers fans, hopefully, to episode two of Beyond the Blade, Around the Atlantic, a.k.a. Atlantic at the Disco. I am Anthony Chandra. This is TJ Peterson and Jacob Langsam from Point to Point Hockey. They have joined us this week to talk Florida Panthers. Let's continue our conversation, boys. Let's talk about whether or not you feel Florida Panthers are a playoff team right now. It sounded like you guys were kind of both hot and cold on their offseason. You liked the coaching ad. You didn't mind the Bobrovsky contract. But you kind of wish they'd have done more. Last year, points-wise, they took a little step back, going from 96 points and being right on the fringe of the playoffs to 86 and being pretty well on the outside looking in. Do you think they've done enough this season to get them back to the playoffs are they a contender in the Atlantic? Give me your thoughts. Have they done enough to get back into the playoff mix? I think right now, yes. I would say that they're probably in the six to eight range in terms of on paper strength in the Eastern Conference. So they should be into the playoffs or at least like above 50% chance of making the playoffs. Things obviously can happen if over the course of the season, like a, a major injury or two can really set them off track. And I've noted that if uh, Bobrovsky gets injured, the Panthers' goaltending options behind him aren't really NHL-proven at all. So that could really become a difficult proposition for them. But on paper, I think that this is a team that should be expected to make the playoffs, but it wouldn't necessarily be a massive shock if they didn't make it. And in terms of the Atlantic division, the Panthers are kind of unfortunate that they're in a division with three of the six best teams in the NHL, in my personal opinion, mm -hmm. and probably the best team in the NHL, Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that they didn't win the Stanley Cup, but, you know, seven-game series, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot based on luck rather than actual skill and all that. And then you have the Boston Bruins, who did make the Stanley Cup finals and were, a, you know, one game away from winning the Stanley Cup. And the Toronto Maple Leafs, who, you know, despite the, you know, I'm sure the Sabres fans like to chirp them and, talk about how that, you know, they don't get to the second round of the playoffs and, you know, they, they don't have a defense, yada, 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 whatever you think about them. I think that on paper, they're still easily one of the best teams in the NHL and the Panthers are just nowhere close to any of these three teams. But I still think that they are a playoff team because those three teams are, I think the three best teams in the whole conference. Honestly, I don't think there's a team in the metropolitan division that measures up to any of them. And I think that, Overall, the Metropolitan Division isn't as strong as it once was. You know, this was once the division that was the stronger of the two in the conference. And I think if you look at the teams that are going to be knocking on the playoff door in that conference, I think the Panthers on paper are better than pretty much all of them. And I would say, yeah, they'll probably be, you know, not really close to the third spot in the Atlantic. But first wild card, I think, is a good spot for them to aim for. And I think they can easily achieve it. I have a slightly different take, although not honestly too far off. Uh, I do think that the Panthers could finish in that third spot in the Atlantic. I think oh. them in Boston, uh, I, I'm not sure 
how much really separates the Panthers with the Bruins at this point. Uh, I, if, if Sergei Bobrovsky has a particularly good year, especially, uh, I can see the Panthers finishing in that third spot. But the thing is, I could just as easily see them missing the playoffs. Uh, so I, I think in terms of averages, TJ and I are kind of in line, but I have a larger range of, uh, of what, I, what I'd expect. It's, it's weird because four, I, I think that w- along with TJ, I think that Tampa, Toronto, and Boston are three of the best teams in the league. I think the Panthers could be up there. I'm not, it's, it's very odd. I don't think they're necessarily a better team than Boston, but I could still see them finishing ahead of Boston because this sport is very strange. But I, three teams make it from each division, and then there are two wildcard spots. If it's Toronto, Tampa, Boston, or Tampa, Toronto, Boston, if we're going in order, sorry, they only have two shots. And I, Carolina, New York, I mean, Montreal could honestly push. It's there are a lot of variables that could uh, that could affect the Panthers' uh, playoff seeding in terms of the Eastern Conference this year. Uh, I like TJ said, I do expect them to make the playoffs. I if I had to bet, I'd bet on Wild Card One. I could see them making it in the third spot. I could see them missing entirely. And as far as championship caliber, no, unless Sergey Bobrovsky gets really good during the playoffs because obviously we've seen hot goalies carry teams very far. Uh, if if Sergei Borowski has a very good postseason, then maybe the Panthers can can make a splash in a deep run. But uh, I, I would not bet on the Panthers yeah, I'll making, put it this way. making the finals or winning. I'll put it this way. I was higher on the Blues, who kind of came out of left field to win the Stanley Cup last year at this point in the offseason than I am on the Panthers at this point in, in this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got the Panthers taking the wild card two spot in my very early projection, right? I, I think that the top of their roster, their top six is is great. I think it could really hang with anybody. Yeah. Um the the issue, and, and we've kind of talked about it a little bit. I don't think that defense is very I don't think it's a strength. I still think it's a weakness. Bobrovsky's great, but he, you know, he's he's your big Right. It's almost a, the wild card, so to speak. If 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 he's a, if he plays like a ten million dollar goalie, you're in the money, right? Exactly. If, if, yeah, and we haven't not, really talked about it, and I do want to bring it up. Over the last couple of seasons, he hasn't really played like a ten million dollar goalie. I mean, people are like, "Oh, what about the future? Like year five, six, seven when he's old?" It's kind of neglecting the fact that he's been average the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think, know if that'll continue. I, yeah, I, I would. I don't. I mean, I think we we see that a little differently. I, I don't know if I'd call him average. I, I think he's last year wasn't his best year. I'll agree with that. Right. But uh, the year before that, he carried my fantasy team to the finals. So I love Sergey Bobrovsky. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. He is kind of the 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 big not really a question mark. That's not a question mark. If that makes sense, right? If he yeah. if he plays up to his pedigree, I mean, they're they're, they're going to be in great shape. But right. I still think that top six is really, really strong. I don't think there's enough weakness there to keep them out of the playoffs. I really do see them as my wild card two by by a lot, unless Montreal really kills it, which they're they might be projection wise the most inconsistent team in the East that I yeah. see. Some people are like they're definitely going back to the playoffs, and others are like, "What are you nuts? No, they're not. I'm I'm up yeah. the ladder." So I, I think I think they take WC two, and hey, all you need Columbus showed us last year. Get to the dance. Mm-hmm. And you've got a chance. Playoffs are a different game. So get in, see what happens. 
I love it. Now that we're talking about the roster a little bit, let's talk about under the radar guys. Cause you know, Sabres fans, they, they are going to listen to this and, and want to get some insight on a team where that they don't obviously follow as closely as Buffalo. Let's talk about who you guys feel is kind of an under the radar guy to watch or someone you feel is due for a breakout season on that Panthers roster who maybe Sabres fans wouldn't be aware of or, or fans across the East wouldn't be immediately aware of. So my guy, my my under the radar breakout player this year, I'm very high on Mackenzie Weger. I I think he showed a lot last season. Uh and I don't think a lot of people really noticed. It was in limited minutes to a certain extent, but I, I think Mackenzie Weger is actually a very effective defenseman. Uh, a lot of Panthers fans kind of see him as an offensive defenseman, but I'd actually see that as kind of a it's kind of a misnomer for him because it it actually turns out that his defensive numbers far outweighed his offensive, uh, and that's not to say that he wasn't good offensively. Uh, he wasn't great, but he was he was passable offensively and actually very good defensively. Uh, using Evolving Hockey's real adjusted plus minus tool, uh, you can see that he's standard deviations above the mean in terms of defensive expected goals and defensive shot attempts against. Uh, so I, I'm actually very excited to see him under a good coach with a stronger system. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that he's going to be, you know, your 50, 60 point defenseman, but I don't think that's what he's there for either. I think Mackenzie Weger is going to show as uh, a kind of a surprising shutdown style uh, who also isn't totally ignorant with what to do with the puck. And I'm very excited uh, to see what he does this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Jake. I'm not necessarily going to pick Mackenzie Weger to let him you know, have the spotlight. Uh, let Jacob have the spotlight of picking Weger, but I, I agree with what he's saying. And, you know, Weger's kind of like the modern day defenseman. He plays with finesse, yeah. doesn't necessarily need to chip in a lot with points. You know, we're seeing forwards drive the offense much more these days. And Weger kind of knows his role. He has great speed. He doesn't necessarily lay down hard hits. He doesn't necessarily bring a big right. physical presence, but not that he's small either, but that, that's not what he's known for as a defenseman. He plays the game with finesse and, can really help drive possession as well as, you know, do all the defensive dirty work that Jake was talking about that isn't necessarily thought of as defensive dirty work. Uh, I wanted to go with somebody that the Panthers actually got in the offseason, and that's Brett Connolly. Some people were questioning this contract that the Panthers signed, but in terms of value, I think it's one of the yeah. better signings that they've made in a while in, free, in unrestricted free agency. They get this guy for just over $3 million a year, and a man – he is a proven even-strength scorer. And if Panthers fans have had one gripe with this team consistently over the years, I know last year nobody could shut up about how bad the defense was, and rightfully so because it was terrible. But <laughs> over the years, depth scoring has been a tremendous issue for the Panthers, and they get a guy who can score 20 goals like he did last year for the Washington Capitals without playing with a top-six center. He was playing with Lars Eller, who has never been known for his playmaking or his you know, offensive mm -hmm. ability, and he scored 20 goals. He's got a, a high shooting percentage, but it's pretty sustainable because he's a very good shooter of the puck and just uh, effectively creates primary points, scores goals, has primary assists at five on five, which is something that is repeatable as we've seen, you know, over the, over the years that players that score at five on five can typically continue to score at five on five when they're in their primes and, you know, when they're still at uh, the right age to do so. And Brett Connolly in Washington and over the course of his career has typically been relegated to minor roles, but 
in those roles, he's always produced well in terms of, you know, relative to the time on ice. And I think that he'll get a chance to continue doing that in Florida. Uh, he'll be put next to guys like Frank Petrano or Henrik Borgstrom, maybe Owen Tippett or Alexi Hepaniemi, depending on how the roster shakes out. And he should get every opportunity to continue to score and create primary assists at five on five and uh, also get some time on power play too, I think, which wasn't a necessar- necessarily a strength for the Panthers last year. I know that that power play was good, but power play one was really the juggernaut behind it. Yeah. Uh, Brett Connolly was one of the guys who I think Sabres fans were, were, you know, definitely wanted to be in on uh, heading into the yeah. off season. Um, I don't mind the contract either that he got actually pretty good value at four years, 13 mil. Uh, Wegar's got incentive. I mean, he's on a one-year prove-it deal for 1.6 million. And guys, guys with those contracts can be dangerous. So I like Wegar. I agree that I, I think he's he's an underappreciated defensive defenseman. Um, but yeah, I mean, both of those guys are great picks, and and I, I think the, those are two guys who should be on everybody's radar uh, for completely different reasons. But if the Florida Panthers are going to kind of make that improvement on the back end, like we've kind of been talking about a, a couple times here. We are got to be part of the solution. I mean, he's, he's your yeah. ideal candidate to be part of that solution. So no, that's, that's all great. Uh, let's, let's talk about one last thing uh, in the spirit of the prospects challenge, which is going on in Buffalo this week. The one thing every year that we do really well and find a lot of success at and gets everybody <laughs> really excited. <laughs> Future is always bright. Yes. It's the top we, of the inevitable well roller too. coaster. Yeah. We know that very well too enthusiasm's at its high. We win every game. We beat the Penguins prospects 10 to two, which happened last year. Oof. And then the season happens and we all collectively say, yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. And you yeah, Sidney Crosby not on the is not team. William Nylander. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some Florida Panthers prospects. Cause I don't think a lot of Sabres fans are, are going to be super familiar with who you guys, who excites you coming up through the system. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's, close you know i mean to to cracking that lineup and and who should they be aware of in the coming years here so i think owen Tippett is probably your your poster boy for who's close to making the lineup i'd be mm-hmm. surprised to see him not make it out of camp uh Tippett's a very good goal scorer doesn't really do much else though so i'm not exactly most excited about Tippett. although I, i'd be shocked if you didn't start hearing his name in from nhl games this season uh, but right behind Tippett in terms of closeness to making the team is the guy that I'm most excited about. It's someone that TJ just name-dropped very briefly, and that's Alexi Hepaniemi. Hepaniemi is an absolutely dynamite, game-breaking playmaker. You saw it in the WHL. He was breaking records despite missing 20 games to go play in uh, play in World Juniors and all yeah, that. Yeah, and he had some injuries as and, well. And injuries as well. I mean... This guy finished third in the league in the WHL uh, in scoring and first in assists, having played 50 games. Yeah, as a draft plus one player also. Right. And uh, then he goes over to play in Liga, his first professional season. He's the highest scoring teenager in the league. He's the highest scoring rookie in the league. Finishes 12th in the league in total points. And, I mean, his performance is akin to that of guys like Barkov. Uh, when he played in Liga, and uh, he drew some comparisons to uh, who are some of the other Finnish guys, TJ, that uh, that Hepaniemi uh, performed similarly to. Uh, I mean, in the, the first season. There's not a whole lot of guys that have uh, played in the Finnish league and have performed at that level 
at ages Terra 19 Vinen and was 20. On there, though. Yeah, Terrible uh, Terravine. Gronlund was on there. Gronlund, yeah, that was the big uh, one for me. Yeah, that I, I mean, that he, he was, he was drawing some really impressive comparisons after his first season in Liga, uh, and now he's coming over to to play North American pro hockey. Uh, I expect him to start the season in the AHL, uh, but I mean, it's it's definitely possible that he just dominates in camp and gets a spot on the roster. And I expect him uh, to make his NHL debut at some point this season. Yeah, I totally agree with Jacob. I'm much more excited about Hepiniemi than Tippett. I think Tippett does have a great shot and his speed is pretty high end as well. So he's got a little bit of uh, that offensive tool set that can make him successful. You know, you see a guy like Phil Castle not really utilize much else to make their, you know, point total skyrocket. And I think that it could work out for Tippett as well, although I don't necessarily see him as being a top-end scorer, maybe more of a middle-six power play kind of guy. Kind of like a Brett Connolly type. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, yeah, Hepaniami, he's just uh, really, really exciting in terms of that vision and what he can do with the puck. And, I mean, you you saw the gaudy WHL numbers in his draft plus one year, did great in the pros in Finland in his draft plus two year. I mean – he just has to put on weight really that's all he needs to do and i think that he's already done some of that so uh, i'm really excited about him and then down the line uh some guys that are more exciting for the panthers are you know so obviously spencer knight the guy that they drafted uh this year uh one of the more high-end goalie prospects ever and only really went outside the top 10 because people have gotten wise to you know high-end goalie prospects not panning out which we were very concerned about at the time but, I mean, you do have to admit, in terms of his ceiling, he could be a Vesna Trophy winner for sure. I mean, he's super athletic and has backstopped the Team USA in the junior levels to a lot of success. And uh, he's going to be at Boston College this upcoming NCAA season with a few other Panther prospects as well. So we're definitely going to have our eyes on him. And Bogdan Kieselevich, one of the more interesting prospects – or. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said the wrong name. <laughs> I was going to bring up uh, Kelichanok too. <laughs> no, it's not Kelichanok. I was going to talk about oh. um uh, oh. the uh, the Denisenko? forward. Yeah, Denisenko. I'm sorry. So. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and hey. uh, Grigory Denisenko, one of the one of the more interesting prospects. He always lights it up at international tournaments. He uh, was the co-leading scorer at the most recent World Junior Championships. And he uh, he killed it at another international tournament this offseason, which I can't remember which one it was, but uh, really impressed people. And yet in the Russian juniors and in the KHL, he's yet to really make a an amazing impression. So a lot of scouts salivate over what he can do with those international tournaments. We're concerned a little bit with the Russian play, but still, I mean, this is a high-end prospect that the Panthers are very excited about. And uh, pretty much consider untouchable from what we've heard in trade talks. So yeah, for now, for sure. Another guy to look out for, for sure. And he's coming into his draft plus two season. So he might be hitting North American ice very soon also. Yeah. If I could chime back in, there's also uh, Siron Noel, uh, big 6'4 winger who I'm very excited about. Uh, he's, look, he's progressing very, very well. And I think he could, uh, he could be a threat down the line. Uh, Panthers second round draft pick from this year as well. Vladislav Kelichanok, defenseman out of Belarus, uh, I think is is going to be a big part of the Panthers' future as well. I love it. Yeah, on on Tippett, he was my guy in 2017 when the Sabers were on the clock at eighth overall. I really, really wanted Tippett. They ended up with Middlestad, which I'm not upset about. He had he had a rough rookie season, <laughs> but he'll he'll be fine. Um, he can't even do a pull-up. I'm sorry. He can do one pull-up now, according, <laughs> he, to, Rasmus, uh, he, according to Rasmus Dahlian. Yes, uh, he can Instagram. do one pull-up. 
Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how many Phil Kessel can do, though. I don't know if that's important. <laughs> <laughs> Are there hot dogs above the bar? Because then, oh he man, can. he can do thirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't feel bad about the name slip. All right. Two weeks ago on the Beyond the Blade Pod, I was calling Brandon Montour Brandon Gooley for about a solid five minute argument wow. of something. Yeah, it's like great <laughs> having an awesome day. Name association in hockey. You gotta love it. Yeah. All right, guys. I think that wraps us up. This has been episode two of the Beyond the Blade Atlantic Division miniseries. I am Anthony Chandra. I was joined today by TJ Peterson and Jacob Langsam from Point to Point Hockey. You can find them on Twitter at PTP Hockey. That's at PTP Hockey. You can find Jacob at PTP Jacob. You can and should find Jacob there. And you can and you. should find TJ at Parallel Circle. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome chat. Looking forward to the season. Thank you so much for having us, Anthony. It was great. All right, Likewise. All right. Catch us on our next episode, episode three. We are almost halfway there. We'll be announcing that guest at some point this week. See you later.